So, in conclusion, David loves Little Women. Everybody, everybody take note. David loves the book that I picked forever. Well, let's dig into that a bit more. I think we got to go. That's the conclusion. That's the end. We are two minutes into this podcast. That's all. All right. Okay, see you guys next time. Goodbye, everybody. Thank you for watching. Like, subscribe, (laughs) blah, 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 blah. Amanda was right. That's really what she wants you to take out of this is Amanda was right. Well, obviously. Yes. everyone welcome to adapted for your viewing my name is david and i watch too many movies and my name is amanda and i read too many books we are brother and sister and this is our podcast for nerds where we talk too much about movies and the books they're based on and tell you which one is worth consuming yep and today we are talking about little women including the two novels by louisa may alcott and the 2019 film directed by greta gerwig And we're assuming you're familiar, but just in case you need it, we're going to do a quick 60-second summary of the story. My girls have a way of getting into mischief. Well, so do I. This is Meg, Amy, Beth, and Joe. I intend to make my own way in the world. No one makes their own way. Least of all a woman. You'll need to marry well. You are not married, aren't you? Well, that's because I'm rich. Uh, So Little Women is a story that's split between two significant times with the March family. Uh, Part one has Meg, Joe, Beth, and Amy March as teenagers. They're the daughters of the March family. And they're getting by with their mother while their father is volunteering as an army chaplain in the Civil War. And part two revisits the March family as the sisters begin settling into their own married or unmarried lives. Uh, And throughout the story, each sister has kind of their own growth um, and the book mainly, but the book mainly focuses on Joe and her desire to keep her family together, to basically never marry, to publish books and to make her own way in the world. And then there's romantic drama with their wealthy neighbor, too. It's set during the Civil War, so somewhere between 1861, 1876. And I think that's around the time that the books were published, too. Yep. uh, Roughly around... 1868 and 1869. So, yeah, it's been a minute since these books were published. Just a little bit. (laughs) Just a little bit. Yeah. Is this the... Oldest, I guess probably not. Is this the oldest book you have read on your own without a teacher making you do it? Oh, 100%. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> I, in general, like to read books within this century or the previous century. I typically yeah. don't go a couple centuries uh, behind me for my literature. Yeah, I honestly do the same. I had like a little resolution last year to start reading more classics. And I tackled Anna Karenina, which was rough. Like, if you thought this was rough, the, Anna Karenina is, took like a month for me to read. It was a 36-hour audiobook. Luckily, Maggie Gyllenhaal was reading it, so that really helped. But it was very long and very sad. <laughs> if it's even as long about that, as hard, if it is... If it is as long, as hard as that book sounds to say, then I I don't know if that book is for me. <laughs> I don't know if that'll be on our list. <laughs> it was rough. Um, but yeah, that's kind of my first foray into that. And this is the second one. And I enjoyed this one a lot. Yeah, I have never heard of this. I didn't hear about it until you approached me and you're like, hey, David, want to see this little women thing? And then I Googled hold on, hold on, it and on. saw it was written in the Wait. 1860s. You have never heard of Little Women until we talked about it? Yep. Zero experience with it. Like zero. Zero whatsoever. Maybe, you know, if anything, I think it was maybe like an option for summer reading during one of my like AP English classes in high school or something like that. That's just about it. I have never really uh, like gone into this. I think maybe some cultural ideas of it have spilled over to me like. Amy yeah. sucks. I think that's just about it. I think that's like the yeah. only cultural thing that has that's somehow made its way. Yeah. <laughs> and that's that was it. Otherwise, yeah. never heard of it. OK, so you never watched the 90s movie. No, didn't watch any of the writer. movies. I did find out this was adapted quite a few times. So that's kind of weird that I never even heard of any of these movies. Yeah. But nope, not even a little bit. Yeah, I guess I had never watched. I had never watched the 90s movie either all the way through. I think when it came out. I was pretty young and I maybe saw some clips on like TBS or something like that. 
Um, so I knew like who was in it and I kind of knew the story just from like, I had like absorbed it, like you said, from like references to it. So I knew like Joe was super independent. Amy really sucked. Meg was the boring one Mm -hmm. and Beth was the one who died. So like those things didn't surprise me when we read through it. And, um, like I knew like the friends references to it because they read it in friends and stuff like that. Uh, I think I was also, I was really into American girl doll and this is very much like in the vein. This was like the first American girl. And so American girl Ah. doll books kind of like spawned from that. And my favorite one was like, um, ones set during the civil war and the revolutionary war. And so this, it feels very similar. It feels like very much in the same like circle. Um, but no, I had never read, I had never seen, this is my first experience with all of them. So I read the book. I actually watched the nineties movie too, just to give me like kind of a reference frame. And then I watched the new one as well. Yeah. So I dove full in into little, it was like two straight weeks of nothing, but nothing little but women. little women. Yeah. For me, yeah. I think this is just a type of genre I tend to avoid a lot. Like, it's just not for me. Like there's nothing wrong with it. It's just truly one of those things where it's like, if I have the choice between this and like any other type of genre, I will tend to lead towards those instead. Yeah, it, it's called sentimental fiction, which I thought was very a very funny genre name. Um, and I think that maybe is, is why it 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 deters some people rather than inviting them in. Exactly, because I would call it more of like domestic fiction nowadays. Yeah. Like if this kind of thing in today would be more domestic fiction. Yeah. And I, I mean, we'll talk about it more, but I definitely felt some of those things are going through this. Yeah. I'm super excited to talk about book facts actually, because this is super, to me, it was super interesting. I may be mildly obsessed now with Louisa May Alcott. I think she's a super interesting person. What is funny um, is that while doing like research for the movie, for my movie facts, I did find that like people who like little women like are not casual people. It's like, no. it's like insane clown like posse, ICP. It's like yeah. you either love them and it's like yeah. a big deal for you or you really don't care for it. It's like one of the two. Well, I think it's something that um, it's very explicitly a story for girls, yes. like young girls. And so I think because it's been that for 150 years, like either you grew up with it or you didn't. So it's kind of like, in the same realm of like Anne of Green Gables yeah. and Secret Garden. And so I read some of those books. I just didn't, I just happened to not read Little Women growing up. But a lot of people I know did and were super, super passionate about. It. And I really get why now that I've gone through and consumed all of it. But anyway, book facts. Book facts. So initially, uh, Louisa May Alcott did not want to write this book. She was completely not interested at all in writing this book. And her publisher is the one who approached her and was like, please write a book for girls. We want to publish something for girls. We think it's a great marketing opportunity. And at the time, she was writing um, she was writing very – oh, she was writing Pulp Fiction. That's what okay. it's called. Uh and so she was writing like exciting stories, kind of like Joe is in the in the book. And she didn't she called it moral pap for the young. That's why <laughs> okay. she didn't read it, which I thought was super funny. And they essentially bribed her to do it by offering to publish her dad's books because her dad couldn't get anything oh published. Gosh. So they're like, if you do this, we'll we'll finally publish your dad's books. And she's like, Ugh, fine. She wrote it in 10 weeks. It was published and it was an immediately <laughs> a huge bestseller. And it made her super rich. Oh my gosh. <laughs> And so she, it, it's very much based on her own life. Uh, she is very much like Joe. She has three sisters who are very much based on the three other sisters in the story. She had a sister who died when she was like in her early 20s. She had a sister who had like a very romantic uh, thing who, who's Meg was based off of. And then she had a sister who was a great painter. And that was uh, who Amy was based off of. And so it's drawn from the stories of her real life. Mm-hmm. Um she never married herself, and she adamantly refused to let Joe marry Lori, even though people were constantly, like, fans everywhere were harassing her nonstop <laughs> to let them get married. Uh, and so she finally compromised, but she <laughs> kind of like a middle finger to her her audience because she explicitly wrote Joe a very unromantic ending because she didn't want Joe to marry anybody in the story. That's kind of incredible, 
I think my favorite part. Isn't that super incredible? My favorite part about this entire story is one, this follows like the opposite story of Joe's experience, mm-hmm. at least in the movie with publishers. Uh, and I think yes. that's hilarious. Uh, yeah. And two, I love as, as someone who has, uh, you know, taken some time doing writing and has also just created a lot of different things. It's funny to me that like her best work is one that she barely put any thought into yeah. and just rushed out. <laughs> yes. the door. That makes a hundred percent sense. Yeah, because not only did she write the first part in 10 weeks, this was published in two parts uh, and the second one was the same. She wrote it under three months and published it immediately. And so it it was just like you said, she just wrote basically what she knew from her life growing up. And it's really beautiful based on real life people that she really loved. And you could totally tell, um, the orchard house in Concord, uh, Massachusetts is the Alcott family home. You can still visit it as I did. I visited there on my honeymoon. Yes, I was there. It's beautiful and adorable. The house looks just like the house from, uh, the movie. Interesting. Like that black house. Yeah. Um, and then, I also found it interesting that Alcott's father was a socialist, so it made him really it made it difficult for him to get work. And so they grew up poor. So she did a whole bunch of stuff, just like Joe did, where she sold her her stories for money in order to support her family. She was also a uh, governess and a whole bunch of other things. Um, she enlisted herself in the Civil War as a nurse. So she actually Okay, what isn't she doing at this point? Okay. I don't know. She's amazing. I love her so much. She was an abolitionist and um, her home was a stop on the Underground Railroad. Okay. Amazing. And she was a, a, a very passionate feminist and the first woman to register to vote in Concord, Massachusetts in 1879. So I am pretty much obsessed with this woman. I think she's incredible. This, this, this girl is amazing. <laughs> yes. Um, so this is how many times it has been adapted. Oh, so many. Yeah. Pretty much a million. It was adapted in nineteen in a 1958 TV series, multiple Broadway plays, a musical, a ballet, an opera, and half dozen movies, including 1933 with Katherine Hepburn, uh, 1949 with Elizabeth Taylor, 1994 with Winona Ryder, uh, 2017 for PBS's masterpiece starring Maya Hawke what? of Stranger okay. Things fame, mm-hmm, which I really want to go watch, actually. And then this past Christmas in 2019 uh, with Sorsha Ronan as the as Joe. Uh, and then there's also a 1980s Japanese anime that ran for 48 half hour mm. episodes, which I am also definitely going to consume. We, OK, that is something I got to watch because here's the thing. <laughs> I, I watched this movie, but after watching this movie, I had absolutely zero desire to watch any other adaptation. Um, mm-hmm. But knowing that I had the opposite effect, I wanted to watch the same movie over again. And then I wanted to watch every other adaptation and compare it to it. Yeah. <laughs> The 1980s anime, though, that is something that I could totally. I'm on board for the 1980s anime for sure. Yes, I'm not an anime person, but them adapting like a classic American girl story, uh, heck yeah, I want to see that. Sounds amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Uh, What about movie facts? Yeah, not as many movie facts because this has not been around for two centuries. Um, Almost like one and a half. Yeah, you know, a long time. Okay. A long, long time. time. Uh, so not as many facts, but if you don't know Greta Gerwig, uh, she directed Lady Bird, which was one of my favorite movies of the year, the year that came out. Mm-hmm. Uh, and mm-hmm. so as soon as I found out she was directing the movie is actually when I got really excited for this because I was about halfway through reading Little Women. Uh, and then I decided to watch the Little Women trailer and I was like, oh, wait, What? And I got super (laughs) pumped up for this movie because I think she's fantastic. Uh, But after finding out that Greta Gerwig was directing this movie, uh, Saoirse Ronan reached out to her and was like, hey, what's up? I am playing Joe. Uh, And she's like, "Uh, no, you're not. I have to ask you first, blah, 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 blah. And then after a while, she came to the realization that her demanding to be Joe was the most Joe thing she could ever do and then gave her the role. I honestly can't imagine any other actress playing Joe. I think 
Sersha does such a great job of embodying her every time she's on the screen. Yeah, and the funny part is when I saw it, it really is just like watching a 1800s version of Lady Bird, and that's why it fits so well. Really? <laughs> like, I, I the characters yeah. are definitely different, but in a lot of ways, I could see why it translated very easily for her. Uh, and yeah. it's one of the reasons why I want to talk about this movie so much. Uh Another thing, a piece of like interesting like set and costume design that I thought was really interesting is the designer for the film, uh, Jacqueline Duran, uh, made a bunch of different costumes that both uh, J- the characters Joe and Lori shared. So it would look mm-hmm. like they were very close and similar to each other. They would share basically everything. Uh, So I think that's just a very good tidbit of character design on the movie's part. I thought that was really cool, too. I saw that on Tumblr, and it had, like, side-by-side pictures of them basically wearing, like, similar vests and jackets and stuff throughout the movie. And that was very sweet. It didn't really hit me that all of the boyish clothes that Joe ends up wearing are basically Lori's in the book or in the movie. And that was very cool. Yeah, I think it's just a nice – I mean, there's a lot of – it's very thoughtful. There's a lot of very thoughtful ways that this movie was shot and seen and directed that I'll get to while discussing the movie. But I thought that part was particularly interesting. And I was shocked yeah. after I read that. So what did you think, David, of this overall story? It is probably 800 pages of nothing but sisters bickering and loving each other and moral lessons about being a girl and growing up in a man's world. How did you enjoy this story? Yeah, I'm sure what everyone is clamoring for right now is a male's perspective in 2020 about Little Women. But let me say, uh, I really did enjoy a lot of this story. I think a lot of this felt like comfort food, and I can see why so many Mm. people enjoy it. Uh, I kind of relate it back to like when I used to watch Full House religiously, Uh, like reading each chapter has like this little slice of a moral lesson and like domestic where they hug at the end. Yes. And it's (laughs) it just feels good. And I think a part of that, Mm -hmm. too, comes from the fact that it's a group of girls in a big family. And I think. You know, you and something you are a little bit. Familiar I am a with. little bit aware of how that feels having <laughs> three sisters, three, three sisters, three very opinionated sisters and one very opinionated mom in a family of seven. Yes. So we definitely overrun. Things. So I, I sort of understood some of the perspective and what it felt like for these characters. And I, it just kind of tugs on my nostalgic big family strings and a lot of. Yeah amazing ways so i'm always going to be a sucker for anything that incorporates like sibling dynamics and problems because it is something we can relate to yeah i i definitely agree with all of that um i think especially i love stories about big families because and i feel like they're very difficult to do i feel like a lot of stories tend to focus on like you have one sibling and maybe a relationship with a parent and so i love a story with multiple siblings because in a big family you have so many different relationships with each person in, yes. in your family um and n- some, you know, some people are closer than others and some people enjoy doing things together over other things. And none of them are, you know, some, some people fight more than other people just because of their personalities. But at the end of the day, each one is like a special connection. And I have not seen almost any other story do it as well as the story does. Um, where each of them are just, they're all simple stories. They're each very funny stories that you could definitely see happening in a big family where they're, accidentally burning each other's hair off or (laughs) destroying something that's important to them or, you know, being petty and somebody gets hurt. Like that happens all the time in a big family. And so it was, I agree. It was like, it was like, it was like revisiting our childhood, even though we have very little in common with the March family, except that we're also big. Um, I mean, I totally agree with that. I, I will disagree with you that we don't have things in common because I think there's some stories well, that coming say, from a big yes. family, it's like, I can relate to that. And this is going to be a 
going yeah. into the book right now. But like, for example, everyone knows the story of Amy burning uh, Joe's books. It's like what makes people yes. think she's the worst person ever. And it's funny because I read yeah. that and I was like, I understand that pain. I remember when my brother broke my copy of Halo 2 and I wanted to kill him. It's yeah. like, <laughs> yeah. is that exactly the I same? Yes. but spilled uh spilled nail polish remover all over my dresser yeah like <laughs> and nail polish <laughs> and, like it just happens <laughs> and i think what this story does so well is uh like you said the different interpersonal relationships between family members but also of how like yeah. you can absolutely like be super annoyed with one sibling one day and absolutely hate them. And it's, it's like, you will never forgive them. Nothing will ever make this right. Yes. But then the next day you've learned to forgive because you live with them and you love them. It's like that di dynamic yes. of someone being the most well, annoying person ever, but you still love them yes. despite that. Well, and in like a story like that, like when something like, even in the story where, um, where Amy burns Joe's book, there really isn't like a bad guy and a good guy in that situation yeah. because she burns her, her book because Joe was super mean to her. And had Joe been kinder, maybe it wouldn't have happened. And then to retaliate, she doesn't tell her about the ice and she puts her in a really difficult, like a really dangerous situation and she ends up falling through ice. And so I totally, I totally got that both from the younger sister and the older sister. Like it's really annoying when you're left out of things that you want to be a part of, but also it's really annoying when your younger sibling wants to be a part of something and you just want to do one thing by yourself one time, you know? And then like the one petty thing you do in response, something horrible yeah. ends up happening because you have to be the older responsible one. So uh, yeah, it was just, it was super relatable on all levels. Yeah. Really. This book was like made for big families to super enjoy. Like I was reading this and yes. I was like, ah, I get it. Like I really do get why people <laughs> love this book in a lot of ways. Like I really mm -hmm. loved this story of this family. Now, let me ask you this yeah. because a lot of these chapters are sort of split up into their own smaller vignettes. I would say part two is a little bit more of a thread between the chapters, but part one especially just has mm -hmm. little stories with the family. What would you say is like your favorite little story from the book? I don't know. I don't know that I have a favorite one. I really liked, um, I really, I liked, I, I don't know if I have a favorite. Like I really enjoyed them going to the party where they meet Lori mm -hmm. and Meg is yelling at Joe to be proper. And so she has to follow all these rules and she basically just quits on the party and runs into Lori. Um, I thought everything in that was very funny. Um, I enjoyed, all the parts with Beth, because I didn't realize that Beth had so much actual yeah. story where she befriends uh, Lori's dad who has lost a daughter and they get to like have kind of like a special relationship and she plays music for him and stuff. I thought that was very That sweet. story in particular, like I want everyone to understand, like I am not someone who gets very emotional watching media or reading media. I don't know mm -hmm. what it was. Maybe it was because I was reading this late at night. Maybe it was just because I related to like the big fa family dynamic so much. But like the sh story where Beth plays the piano for Mr. Lawrence and then he buys her a piano made me cry. Yeah. And that is weird. Yeah, after, that was weird after, for me. After Oh, after she made him like like house slippers, basically she oh like embroidered gosh. house slippers for him. It was so and then he just amazing. showed up with a piano. It was very sweet. It yeah. like in the way they describe it in the book. This is one of those things that I think the book actually did way better was like describing this emotional scene between them two about how yeah. she like specifically wraps her arms and he starts crying like. It totally, I have no idea why it completely got me and I had to take a break. It totally hit you. Yeah. It was <laughs> extremely effective for me. Yeah. What about you? Did you have like a favorite little story? Well, besides Beth, it's definitely a scene with Amy where she buys limes for a couple of reasons. Yeah. <laughs> One, now that we are in a world where you can go get limes at Walmart for 50 cents a pop. Uh, it's very funny to hear them freak out about having limes, pickled, pickled limes. limes. Yeah. OK. Uh, yeah. And mm -hmm. I think that entire story of her is 
hilarious about how like all these kids are just trying to get limes and she caused her own like trouble because she goes to a girl and specifically says you're not gonna get any of my limes yes (laughs) and then she gets back at her by telling the teacher she has limes and he you know yes then she gets just such a relatable situation it totally happens it just feels like something like i went through as a kid which is why i laughed because it's such a silly stupid kid thing Yes, but it felt like the end of the world. Yes. Yeah. Now, the one thing with the book I'm going to say lost me a little bit was definitely in part two. Part two. Yeah. I had a harder time reading it, particularly, I would say, like the last hundred pages or so, uh, mostly Mm -hmm. because I didn't care about the storyline or the love triangle that had formed. Yeah. And I could tell Alcott also was just trying to kind of get through I felt like her favorite parts of her writing were much more these small vignettes of like Meg as an adult in dealing with that with her and her husband and dealing yeah. with some of those things rather I than this Meg's love story yeah. yeah Meg's story as an yes. adult I actually love way more than Meg's story as a teenager yeah I felt the same I thought part two lost me a little bit just because uh, I mean, I think there were parts of it that were great because each woman is is trying to figure yeah. out basically, you know, where is she going to be? I think everything that they deal with is interesting and pretty relatable. Uh, you know, Joe doesn't want to get married. And so how is she going to basically deal with her loneliness? And Meg still wants to, um, you know, li- have some of the fun that she had when she was younger, Where, but now she has to pay the bill for everything. And, like, how does she deal with that while still, you know, supporting her husband who's struggling, like, day and night to provide for them? And Amy is dealing with, like, her own kind of mediocre talent yeah. in painting. And I think that's very interesting, too. And so each woman, like, each pr- character is dealing with something very interesting. But like you said, they're – for me, it was because they were apart. And yes. so – it wasn't as much fun because they weren't interacting as much anymore. They were each in like their own separate things. And so the scenes where they were brought back together were some of the better ones, but also obviously the sad ones because they came back together because Beth passes away. Um, but I like, like I liked like Meg's wedding. I thought that whole thing and like the small drama with aunt March was very funny. Um, other than that, like I, I don't I'm not really super satisfied with the ending, too, because I don't like Joe ending up with the professor. So, yeah, neither do I. And I really do think that the love triangle in the last like 150 pages of this book just felt like she was trying to get through a plot point that she knew people cared about a lot and she was just yeah. trying to resolve it and in reality, I just want her to have an excuse, like you said, to bring everyone together so I could see them interacting with each yeah. other. Because um, really, th- there's plenty of parts I love about part two. It's just specifically the love triangle. I just didn't care about. Yeah, it was fine. Yeah. Now, I like I like the scene together with them, with Joe and Lori, when they're talking about trying to iron out their feelings for each other. But yeah, I'm not a huge fan of the love triangle either. The best part about the love triangle is when Amy just calls uh, uh, Lori out and she's like, stop being a bum, boy. Yes. (laughs) Yes, that's fantastic. And I also thought it was really interesting that that she calls him out for being jealous, basically, because Joe keeps writing about this professor that she's befriended. And he's like, of course I'm jealous. Like, I'm jealous of Meg's husband. Uh, You know, if Beth had somebody, I would be jealous of him, too. I'm jealous of this guy that you're talking about getting engaged with right now. I'm jealous of all of them because he just wants to be part of the family. And I thought that was a very interesting point that the – and a small comparison, but I don't think the 90s film really addresses very well. Um, like the best chemistry in the 90s, I know we're not talking about it right, like very much in depth, but the best chemistry in the 90s movie is between Christian Bale and Winona Ryder. And so it's very weird that they don't get together. And she kisses a super old guy at the end Bam. of the movie. He's so old. <laughs> um, but in this in this new movie, I think they spent a lot of time focusing on that, which I liked because I thought that was very true to what the book was talking about. Yeah. I agree. Uh, So what did you think about this movie? Oh, Amanda. See, here's the thing. I I enjoyed the book. The book was nice, but 
in the end, mm-hmm. it it was just like enjoyable to me. I didn't freak out about it. Yeah. I had some complaints. I thought the plot was a little yeah. meandering at times, but I understand that was just sort of the format back then. This movie is amazing. This movie might be the best adaptation of a story I have ever seen because I would probably agree with that. It yeah. not only uh, takes what's in the book and is accurate to the author's vision of what of the story that she wanted to tell, but tells the story mm-hmm. in a way that updates it for modern audiences in a way that makes the movie way more enjoyable. And the changes that she made are so small, but still yeah. impact the message uh, perfectly well. I think this might be this. This is for sure my favorite movie of 2019. I think I can easily say that. But this might be the best adaptation we've checked out at all. I I would heartily agree with that. I learned, I finished watching this movie. First of all, I was very emotional watching it, which I was very surprised mm-hmm. by. And then as soon as I finished watching it, I just wanted to watch it again. Um, because it was such a lovely adaptation. And I had kind of the same experience where I finished reading the book and I enjoyed it a lot, um, a lot more than I thought I would. I thought it like some of like the morality lessons would drag for me, but I enjoyed it quite a bit. And then I watched the 90s movie before I watched the 2019 movie. And I was surprised at how passionately I felt in defense of the sisters in that yeah. movie. Because there was a couple of things where I'm like, why did they do this? This shouldn't be like this. This isn't what... And I was surprised at how like riled up I was getting. And it's because Louisa May Alcott really did put together four interesting, complicated women uh-huh. in this book. And I would argue five because I think Marmy is... I think you make character. a big argument for Marmy, yeah. And... I don't, I mean, I, I enjoyed the 90s movie for what it was, but I really think like this new, this 2019 movie, Greta Gertwig really does her damnedest to get these women right. And she starts the movie, instead of going chronological like the book does, she starts with each sister. And so she starts with each one, tells us where it starts off, maybe like um, two thirds or three fourths yeah. of the way through. It begins as adults first. Yes, as adults. And everybody's doing their own thing. And then she constantly gives us context uh, by flashbacks for what's going on, what's going on, what's going on. And I think it's very smart because it just revolves around, you know, who is Joe? Who is Meg? Who is Beth? Who is Amy? And it makes for such a strong adaptation of this book and and discussion around these characters because they've been around for 150 years. Everybody most people who go and see it aren't being forced by their sisters to read the book and have an experience with it. Most people already have a fairly good context for who these characters are. And I thought it was so smart that she not only like, there's a couple of lines from the the movie where, um, you know, Joe talks about how everybody is always going to remember the name Joe March and everybody does. And I thought that was really interesting. And she kind of talks around her character um, and she does that for each of the characters yeah. where Amy talks about oh, having her whole life been compared to Joe. And that's true. Maybe in the book, it's especially true in the way we talk about little women over the century. Exactly. And I thought that was so interesting to include. And even uh, Meg has a moment where she talks about how just because her – Uh, what she wants is different than what Joe wants. Her overall goals of just getting married and having like this domestic life uh, doesn't mean that they're unimportant just because they're different from what Joe wants. And I think that's a very interesting point about Meg's character because Meg is usually designated as the boring sister just because she wants something different. Yeah. The additions to this movie, particularly in the dialogue, because the dialogue is one of the reasons why Mm -hmm. I think this movie is so effective because most of it is from the book. I would say about 80. pull a lot of words directly from the book. I'd say about 80% of the dialogue is from the book and it sounds fresh and new, which is a testament not only to the actor's performance, but also to how they set up this story because the dialogue feels super snappy. Uh, and it sounds like they're all in a big family, like they're talking over each other. They're mm-hmm. interrupting each other. Something that you and I want to do all the time on this stupid podcast yes. because we're family. That's why you talk. You interrupt. You talk I love over how each other. often I love how often they just fight each other like in the back. Yeah, they just like are punching each <laughs> like that's that's how it is being in a family. Like that's just 
Yeah. My favorite scene is when they're over at the Lawrence's mansion and they're leaving. And while they're leaving, they're all talking and talk like screaming and trying to talk to Mr. Lawrence and talking to them. Like it's like, yeah, that's what happens in a big family. Yeah. Spoken is from a family who at restaurants have multiple times people next to us have been asked to move away from us because we are too loud and obnoxious. This happens all the time. All the time. <laughs> it does happen, yeah. <laughs> but all that to say is that uh, – the dialogue that's added into this movie adds so much not only to like the family dynamic that hooked me into it to begin with, but also for each character. You know, one of the big uh, 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 additions are all the things that you talked about. And it's just kind of sums mm -hmm. up their character and also uh, adapts this story for a modern audience. Yeah, they also included a lot of things from the book that were some of my favorite things. So like I loved uh, one of my all time favorite things are these two book ended conversations that Joe has with Marmy. One right after uh, Amy goes into the water and she talks about her temper with her mom. And Marmy's like, I've, I'm always angry. I've been angry for 40 years. <laughs> yeah. And this is just, you just have to learn how to deal with it. And it's such a wonderful mother-daughter scene. And then it's booked, bookend by this other conversation she has towards the end of the book and the movie where Joe is talking about how she really fiercely believes in her independence but at the same time, she wants to be loved so deeply mm -hmm. and she's so and she has to deal with her loneliness that her her own determination and convictions have created for her. And it's just something she has to deal with. And they're two very beautiful uh, conversations. And I'm so glad they were both in the movie because I love them both very much. Oh, yeah. And the reason why they're so good is because of the performances, which let me tell you, yeah. everybody oh, kills okay. it in this movie. There is not a bad performance in the movie. Uh, my personal favorite was definitely Florence Pugh as Amy. She, yeah, she was really, she good. steals every single scene in this movie. Yeah. I loved her, her conversation with Lori about the economics of marriage. I thought that was so interesting. Uh, cause we really don't, I mean, she also has this great scene with Aunt March who's played by, you know, the incredible Meryl Streep who absolutely is amazing in it. Um, but she has this conversation with her and basically Aunt March is like the entire fate of your family now rests on yeah. your shoulders. And I never really like realized what a huge burden that would be for Amy uh, because, again, she's always kind of painted as the worst, the most vain um, because she wants to have a successful, wealthy marriage. She wants to marry well. And she has a conversation with Lori about the economics of it, where she's like, basically, I have no freedom. Like, I have no other opportunity except to marry well. And it was such a great conversation to have, not only about Amy's character in general, but also the situation that they had to deal with. And I thought it made her character really rich. Yeah, and she, her performance in every single scene was incredible. So yeah. You know, one of my uh, uh, favorite scenes, and there was a great video on it on YouTube that Vanity Fair did, where they're breaking down the scene where Amy's hands get uh, uh, slashed by her teacher, and she's crying outside mm -hmm. the Lawrence mansion, being like, you know, I can't go home because of my hands. And it is a hilarious scene, actually, how she plays it up. Yeah. And Greta Gerwig said that a lot of scenes with Florence Pugh, she would do them over and over, making a little bit more over the top each time. And that the yeah. scene that went right before it went too much is the shot that they would use. And That's she awesome. did so good. Like she plays this annoying little sister so well, but in mm -hmm. a way that like as anyone who has a younger sibling would understand where it's like you're like some of the things they do are some of the most like annoying things, but you love them for it. And it, she just hit that so well and made Amy such a relatable, fun character. Mm -hmm. And you have to give her a lot of credit because in the other adaptations, Amy is usually played by two characters because mm -hmm. in the beginning she's 11 and at the end she's 20. And so usually they replace the actress. They didn't in this one. And you really re believe her as like the annoying, basically – she could get away with maybe being like 12. She's pretty youthful looking. Um, and the way they dress her and stuff really helps. Uh, 
she totally gets away with being the younger Amy and the older yeah. Amy at the same time, which I think is really difficult. I agree. She all these in a movie full of amazing performances and Meryl Streep. Uh, she somehow mm-hmm. came out on top she for me. Out. Yeah. 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 I think Saoirse Ronan probably stood out for me because I mean, it's, it's hard not to love Joe. She's such an amazing character, but I think she really does an amazing job not only in like in all parts. So in the parts where she's supposed to be fun, she's very uh, rambunctious. I feel like yeah. <laughs> in scenes, especially with Lori, like it's, it's very clear that she loves being a tomboy. She loves goofing around with people. Um, she has a great sense of humor. Um, and then on top of it, she, she has this great like longing for her childhood and she, where she misses it and she misses having her family together. And you really feel every punch that that she she hits you with it every single time. And I really loved her in it. Yeah, I think what she does so well is like, of course, the scenes where, you know, she's doing very Joe thing. She's very overconfident. She's very silly. She's very snarky and and jabbing at people. You know, that's, of course, really good. Like she was great in that in Lady Bird as well. But I think the scenes that hit me the most were definitely the emotional scenes where, you know, Mm -hmm. she's uh, uh, lamenting being lonely, you know, like we've talked about, or the scene where she's crying over her hair was really effective and crying over her books. (laughs) Like all of those scenes like hit me so much more in the movie because of the performance. Yeah, the performance was really great. One thing I want to talk about really quick is some of the amazing filmmaking in this movie mm-hmm. uh, because I think the reason it shot so beautifully like, of, it was shot amazing and the way they tell the story too is so perfect for the medium and this is like again this sort of goes into the thesis of our podcast of what makes a good adaptation yeah. mm-hmm. and I think that this movie does it so well because of how it modifies telling the story so the first thing is, of course, the splitting of the timelines. This mm-hmm. uh, this is super effective for me because in the book, I got bored because in the first part, there really isn't a big line through each of the stories for them to follow. Yeah. And even as adults, they they have some small ones like with Beth. Beth's death was effective for me, but the love triangle wasn't. So oftentimes it sort of feels like little vignettes of this family that you get to go through. Okay. Yeah. The reason why this movie is so effective is because by splitting up the timelines, they give the audience enough of a question to keep watching, be interested. And that question is what happened? Like what happened to Beth? What happened to Joe? What happened to all these sisters that led them to the way they are now? Uh, And it's enough of a thread to really keep you invested in this film, even though it's not overtly said. And that is why Mm -hmm. I love it so much is because they they took a way to adapt this movie in a way that is that feels super modern, but still feels like it's getting the point across for this movie. Yeah, there's there's kind of there's two stories kind of layered on top of each other where in the beginning it shows all the sisters doing their own thing and it flashes back to all of them being together and happier. And so, yeah, you have that question of, well, what happened? And then on top of it is layered this narrative thread of Joe getting her works published. Mm-hmm. And so it starts off with her getting her first story published. And then towards the end, it's, it's basically Joe talking about the story that we just watched together um, and how it's going to end. And then, it eventually getting published as the book as like the ultimate final scene. And so it's really interesting because it lets, it lets us watch the story that we, we already love of little women. And then we get to basically talk with Louisa May Alcott Mm -hmm. about what she really wants for these stories, what she wants for these women and how she would have rather have it had it ending. And the movie, in a very interesting way, gives you both. Mm-hmm. There's a an ending where Joe is runs after the professor, and they have this kind of funny, over the top romantic reunion, and they kiss under the umbrella. And the publisher talks to Joe about it, and Joe basically like gives in yeah. <laughs> and lets it happen in order to have the book published. Um, but you can also very much read it as not happening too at the same time. It's just a story that's added to be tacked on to the end of this. And the final climax of this story is not her running after um, 
after her professor is her getting her book published. So there's two scenes interwoven that's the final scene of this movie. And it's Joe with her beautiful book, basically like this really long scene of a book being published Uh and it's gorgeous and amazing. And uh, this other, this mirrored scene of Marmy's birthday party, which is straight from the book um, where everybody's together Um, Joe is with her professor and maybe they're together, maybe they're not. And all of her sisters are there and their kids are there and all the kids from the school that they opened are there and it's bright and beautiful, but there's a good chance that that never happened either because it's kind of like bright and over the top. Um, whereas the main celebration of the movie is the book, Little Women finally being published. So that was really interesting. It was, it was basically like the movie talking about the movie with the book. And I love it. I loved it too, because that scene calls mm-hmm. back to so many other parts of the movie where there's constantly parallels between the two. I'm going to just say timelines. Uh, yeah. Like the, there's of course that scene where it's like, okay, is she getting the book published or is she having this happy scene? But then there's other scenes in yes. the movie too, where they, they, they establish the parallel so you can have that ambiguous ending. So there's uh, one, there's like a visual cue of the fact that all the things sort of set in one timeline has this very warm glow to it. And they use a lot of warm tones to convey like this very, uh, like homey, uh, warm feeling, very bright, right. very bright yeah. while mm-hmm. the other, while they're adults, it sort of has this very cool tone to the entire movie. And they mirror that in the ending where her book is getting published mm-hmm. and it's very there's very cool tones. And then there's this scene with her family with very warm tones. And so you kind of get this question of like, okay, what really happened? And I love that. I love that so much. Um, One other parallel that they have that I thought was super effective was Beth's death. Because they, they parallel uh, Beth uh, living as a child and dying as an adult. And they parallel it, you know, of course they're, Uh, very similar scenes on top of each other, but also how the camera movements are and the scene itself of her waking up, Beth being gone, her going downstairs and finding out she lives, and then her going downstairs and finding out she dies. Yeah. And that scene was so much more effective because they were layered on top of each other. Yeah, it was really beautiful. And, I mean, that's that was one of the clunky parts, I felt like, reading the book, Um, because it, it didn't quite feel like Beth had anything to do. Yeah. Uh, because she goes through this horrible thing in both parts and she lives in the first one, she dies in the second one. And there's this very funny line at the beginning of the movie where the publisher is like giving advice to Joe, says, if you're going to have a female male main character, she has to either be married or dead by the end of the book. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> And I thought that was a very funny kind of thing to add in about this particular book that does end up with three married women and one that has passed away. And it takes away it by layering them on top of each other and experiencing them side by side. It takes away some of the like strange gimmickiness Mm -hmm. of it. Um, and it makes it very heartfelt instead, where it's just something horrible that has happened to this family, and they all have to deal with it together, and it changes all of them. Agreed. Because that's, basi- that's basically the climax of this movie, is that happening. Agreed. Yeah. I, all that to say, the splitting of the timelines is one of the most ingenious ways to tell this story, yeah. and it's the reason why I love this movie. Yeah. yeah. And it was... It was very, it was very interesting because it was a lot of material to go through, um, and I feel like I got almost all of it. Like it included stuff that I loved very much, and I was glad to have in there. Like even like the small stuff, like Beth's story with her piano and uh, Mr. Lawrence next door. They included the letterbox mm-hmm. that Lori mm-hmm. gives them right after he's uh, welcomed into their club and uses that narratively, um, and. I feel like the romances were handled better because of everything that was happening. I believed in this one that Lori would end up with Amy. Agreed. Whereas before I did not. And even in the book, I barely believed it. Uh, But I really believed it in this movie. It made a lot of sense for their characters. Agreed. Now, one scene I just want to mention before we go through some more of the changes, even though we've talked a lot about changes. One of my favorite scenes, and is the one where... Uh, Evie turned to me and she said, okay, I love this is the, is an early scene where, 
uh, it cuts to uh, Lori being added to their theater club. And they're yes. all going around and they're talking in British accents and they're stomping. <laughs> yes. And it is it is so funny and so much. It just yes. has so much joy in I it. Love, I couldn't stand. I was. I love that they're doing like announcements for their club and they're like this week. Meg, good. Joe, bad. <laughs> <laughs> Beth, very good. Amy, mostly good. And I just thought that was so funny. <laughs> It was such like a fun sisterly thing to do. Mm-hmm. And then Emma Watson that getting to talk in her accent. It was very joyful. Yeah. And Emma Watson finally gets to talk in her own accent. Her, She did a great job, but yeah, her American accent. You could see her slipping occasionally. <laughs> you could, yes. Her O's are super long. Yeah, that's how you know. Or, yeah, yeah. Thankfully, she struggles a little. Thankfully, the movie's so good you don't notice the accent. Okay, let's go into yeah. surprise and changes. So we already talked about like the ambiguous ending uh, mm-hmm. And the meta commentary. And the meta commentary. What are some more of the uh, changes that they made in this adaptation? Yeah, they didn't make a, a ton. They like made a couple, obviously, uh, just to adapt it. The timeline is very different. Um, the overt changes they made were uh, at the very end of the book, Joe opens up a school for boys, and it made me so mad. I didn't understand it either. <laughs> I, I read that, and I was like, why just boys? <laughs> Why? Why just boys? And they're like, uh, is it going to be for poor boys? And she's like, mostly poor boys. And so it's just like a school for rich, snotty boys. And I was like, why? Yeah. And in the movie, they change it to be a school for boys and girls. And they show the boys and girls in the final scene. And it's a very diverse group of boys and girls. And so I thought that was very sweet. I thought that was a nice touch a nice update. it's a small thing but yeah even as i read it i'm like why like wh- i feel like, like it should have been just any a school sense for, girls. for your character i don't know yes it made me very mad um and then they made the professor not so grossly old i am so <laughs> thankful for that i am so thankful that he, they didn't he make like- the professor old he still looks older. He looks like, you know, maybe they have 10 years apart um, because he's got facial hair or whatever. But to be honest, it's not like grossly older. In the 90s movie, I'm going to send you this clip of them kissing. Ugh, I don't want to. I don't want to. He literally, he looks like he is like on, he's like, he is like retiring. He is like 55 Death's and door happy. is knocking. And and Winona Ryder is like rosy cheeked and 19 and they kiss and it's so gross at the end of it. And so it was just as much as I was like, meh about the professor, I feel like his his um, romance with Joe was a little bit better in this one. And it was less gross because he wasn't as old. Yeah, he's also really funny. Like they play his character he's off also very like funny. way more yes. humor in his character. I think in the his accent isn't as annoying. He's very funny. Yeah, I like uh they changed their like relationship dynamic a little bit too in the movie because in yeah. the book it had sort of this creepy teacher student relationship. It was very creepy. And he was like kissing her picture all the time. It was, it was very, very creepy. <laughs> and it, I am very thankful yeah. they changed up his character because his was like the one thing in the book that I look back and I, I like just forget because I didn't like it. And I sort of sped through those yeah. chapters. Yeah. Uh, I will say about the professor, I was a little bit bummed from the movie and I kind of understand why they cut it out because they were trying to wrap things up by that point. It's a pretty long movie. Um, I wanted the professor to read Joe's book and I know that didn't really like fit in with the story that they were telling, but that was the only part of their relationship that I liked from the book, uh, where he is very critical about her writing in the beginning. And then she writes this thing basically for Beth, which is the little women book. And, um, he loves it and he praises it at the end. And I thought that was a nice full circle for their story. And that's the part that gets cut out from the movie. And I thought that would have been like a more intimate, believable scene but i think because of what they were choosing to do at the end of the movie that's why they cut it it's not very important um but i did kind of miss that like joe's coming full circle with this character yeah i think they they gave a lot of that to like the publisher relationship instead yes yeah yeah which i i did enjoy as well the publisher relationship was very i did enjoy the (laughs) i did enjoy the publisher a lot especially when his wife was complaining to him and then his kids are like are you gonna finish this book we need to know what happened (laughs) (laughs) i what actually got me is how he would slam the paper to the table whenever he read it for after like the second time that happened i laughed every single time it happened because it was just so it was so needlessly aggressive yes (laughs) 
He was pretty funny. Amanda, do you have any nitpicks about this story uh, at all? I think I think my one nitpick would be the school for boys at the end of the story. But again, the movie kind of addressed that and gave her a school for boys and girls. I would rather have it just be a school for girls because I feel like that's what Joe March would do. So. I agree with that. My nitpick is truly the tiniest of nitpicks in the world. Okay. So wow. I see you're not, I don't know what you're referring so this, to actually. Let me provide you some context because I was trying to finish the book before I saw the movie. And I actually did not finish the final chapter of the book because by the end, it just sounded like she was wrapping up some random stuff and she does another like time skip. It was. Um, yeah. But so. Well, the very end is, is Marmy's birthday. It is Marmy's birthday. So. so I missed that. And this nitpick comes from Marmy's birthday party where there is a okay. there's a take where Joe is walking through the house. She's seeing all these wonderful kids at her school. Oh. And this random kid just comes up with her and gives her a cake. Okay. Yeah, and it has like leaves. And in it, it is the most disgusting cake I've ever seen because it's like, <laughs> uh, it's like a cake with no frosting on the side, a little bit of frosting in the middle, yeah. and then leaves on top. Leaves on like, top, like real leaves, like, like actual, actual leaves. leaves on the cake. Yeah, that's why I kind of think that the that scene is not meant to be taken at face value because it's so wait a second, wait a second. pause the leaves are what take you out of the scene leaves on a cake are what make it <laughs> over the top now i do remember i do remember watching it and being like are those real leaves on that are they gonna eat that or is it like a craft project i have no idea why this like, part was so distracting it took me out of the movie because everything else is so careful and beautiful in the film and then to have like this really random cake that looks like it looks like an arts and crafts project but then she brings it to the table as if they're going to eat it so it is very strange i didn't it was just a, a nasty looking cake and marmy and probably in her messed like aw like impression for her kids was like wow this cake is a cake <laughs> she probably didn't eat that yeah. cake that was a nasty looking cake yeah, it's probably like a grandma thing, like, oh, thank you, sweetie. And she puts and it, on she the puts it in the trash. She's like, thank you. And then like throws it out as soon as the kid leaves. <laughs> uh, any other things you want to mention about this book movie? No. I wanted to ask you in your watching of the movie to you, did Joe get married or not? At the Oh, end? I don't think she got married. I am. I don't think so. Either. I am team. She didn't get married because I think it's the fact that, you know, you know, one thing that they did change is the scene where she meets the professor uh, mm -hmm. in the book. She goes to the market after he hasn't been around for three days. She gets wet. She gets in the mud and then she just sees him shopping where he then proposed yeah. to her. And it, it, it feels more real. It feels like in the book they got together. But in the movie, they change it up where it's almost like the end to any romantic comedy you've ever seen, where they race to the train station to catch him. She runs in the rain. She says the classic line of how he's not empty anymore. Uh, yeah, his hands aren't empty because she's holding yeah, them. Yeah, whatever. And it turns into like <laughs> this big over the top thing. And it was played so over the top that I didn't believe it. It just felt so yes. out of place in a movie that felt very realistic. The very first time where like I almost started to believe their romance was when he's visiting with the family and nobody has touched the piano since Beth died and he plays a song that Beth had played earlier in the movie and it pans across the the room and everybody is looking at Joe and Joe's eyes are filling with yeah. tears and it's really it's it's really a beautiful moment and so in that moment I was like oh like okay, if they do get together, I would kind of buy it because they have like kind of this emotional thread now. And, you know, Joe is still grieving over her sister and he's like comforting her. Um, but yeah, then the the very last scene is like this very like rom-com-y, funny over the top. Even like as soon as they say goodbye to him and she turns around, looks at the rest of her family, her whole family is looking at her and it feels exactly like, like a British rom-com yeah. essentially. Um so to me, I kind of agree. I don't – I like the read where she doesn't get married at the end. Um, but I fully believe the movie is set up where you can believe either one, whichever one kind of satisfies your ending for Joe. And I think the, you know, the line earlier in the movie that like Meg makes about her life um, – mm -hmm. what was it? You said it earlier. Uh, 
Where just because she wants something different doesn't mean it's not important. Yes. Um, yeah. It sort of plays into the two different endings where it's almost like which one like matters more to you. Does it matter more to you that Joe gets satisfying and she finds someone who can love her? Or is it more satisfying for her that she's able to uh, work on her passion and work forward to it? It's almost like mm -hmm. saying like, hey, if you're a woman, like both are very valid paths because to be honest, both are valid yeah. paths for men and no one judges them for doing either. So yep. that's why uh, this movie's amazing, guys. <laughs> this movie's so good. freaking good. I love it's, this movie. It's very beautiful and very heartfelt and very smart at the same time. And I feel like that's very difficult to do. I agree. Gosh, I feel like I could talk about this movie forever, but... I really could. I know. But I know we have to wrap it up. Uh, so, David, now that you have gone through all 800 pages, would you recommend people read this book? That's a tough question, because I think people who really want to read this book know they want to read this book. They are either someone who has grown up with it, someone whose mom really loved it, so they really want to read it, or something that is just comes from a love of the genre. I would say you could actually skip the book, not because uh, uh, it's bad. I think if you want to read it, read it. But I think for most people, you should see the movie because it is so effective at telling the type of story Alcott wanted to tell. I think so. uh, I think I would recommend people still read the book because uh, I think a lot of the things that I enjoyed from the movie was because I had the background of the book. Um, and that's not to say you can't enjoy the movie without it. I think you 100% could. But a lot of the things that were tucked in, even in the background, I it was a very nice callback to the book, and I appreciated it more because of it. So I do think um, it is a very particular genre. So if you're only used to reading thrillers or something like that, this may not be your cup of tea. But I do think it should be on everybody's like reading bucket list, essentially. Like if you have like a hundred classics that you want to read in your lifetime, it should be on, on that list. Yeah. I mean, in a lot of ways, I am talking to the Davids of the world. You know who you are. You know, you didn't want to read this. You know, you procrastinated <laughs> and read this way too quickly and you shouldn't have done that. Uh, but Amanda, would you recommend watching this movie? I would recommend everybody immediately goes and watches this movie. Stop what you're doing right now. Pause the podcast and go and buy a ticket for this movie. It is insanely good. And not only is it a great adaptation, it's just plain a good movie, a very beautifully done movie. I so 100% yes. I'd agree with that. I will probably I will probably see it again in theaters and I will definitely be purchasing it when it comes out because I will probably rewatch it many times. Please go see this movie. Uh well, so our recommendation is mostly yes for a book, definitely yes for a movie. Agreed. Go see that dang movie, okay? I think I've said that a thousand times. Just go see it. <laughs> definitely worth definitely worth consuming in both forms, mm -hmm. book and movie. Uh, so that'll wrap us up for today. Thank you so much for listening. Please subscribe so you get automatically updated when new episodes come out at wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, this is our official 10th episode, which is super exciting. Um, so we are still pretty new and would love it if you left us a review and told your friends about us. And if you leave a review, I will force David to read it aloud on the podcast in a very funny way. Yeah, let me get one up real quick. All right. I found a, a review by okay. Low Buff. Um. Your note for this review is, um, is <laughs> Meryl Streep at high tea time. Oh gosh. I almost like need a, <laughs> can I like, just okay, wait. Maybe not, maybe not Meryl Streep, Aunt March at high tea. I know. Just wait. Now I need to see like a, a YouTube clip real quick of Meryl just... Streep as aunt. <laughs> okay. All right. I got it. I got it. Uh, so this is from Low Buff. Perfection. Oh, you love reading? Oh, you're addicted to movies? Well, sit right down and enjoy this ridiculously great concept of a podcast. Amanda, she spelled Amanda wrong, and Dad, David's banter is hilarious, but also dives deep into cinematography, author's intent, and a whole host of other great topics. I can't wait for more.
There you go. That was pretty good. Was that good? good? I really wish I should probably take like a screen grab of your face one of these days because you do like this really funny face when you do these, when you're like channeling a voice. I also feel bad because I feel like I keep making you do like British accents. I'll be honest, this and the one I did for (laughs) Harry Potter, I think sound very similar. I feel like they're very similar. Yes, but I guess they're both older people so maybe that's why maybe that's just your old person voice. i had a little bit more silliness in dumbledore and in meryl yes. i was a little bit more reserved okay? I, I am a little disappointed you forgot you were at high tea and so you didn't take any sips of tea well so. here's the thing this is an audio driven uh media so they couldn't see <laughs> yes, my tea. but i am looking at your face yeah 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 but i'm still your audience here david you gotta perform for me (laughs) (laughs) anyway thank you loba for the review if you write a review you you can see me do this again or hear me do this again only amanda gets to see me do this or request what kind of voice i should make him do next i have some ideas okay if you if you give me a request in your review i will try to follow that request That would be amazing. Yeah. Okay. You can also find us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. We are at AdaptedPod on all those platforms. And you can send us suggestions on what we should talk about next by shooting us an email at stuff at AdaptedPod.com. So, David, what are we consuming next? What spooky book are you going to make me read? So, I had a lot of thought about the spooky book I wanted to do. I know. You were teasing me about it for like uh, three weeks. There's that you're so many spooky things I could horrible. do. And I want to yeah, do one great. I actually haven't read and I have always wanted to read and have always wanted to see this movie. And I think it has a good through line with authors in it. And that is Stephen King's Misery. Okay, so this includes the book he wrote and and also the 1980s film starring Kathy Bates. So, yeah, I had no when you texted me that I was like, okay, Stephen King. Yay. And then I searched it and then I realized it was Kathy Bates. So I'm on board. I'm pretty ready. And I also chose one that was more suspense and psychological rather than really good spookies. Instead of yes. a lot of spookies. There's still some spookies, but. I have always wanted one. to read this book. Um, so I think this is a perfect fit. Uh, afterwards, guys, we're going to be doing suggestions after this. So please let us know if you have a suggestion, because we're going to spend the next uh, couple weeks just doing that. So let us know what you want to do. Yeah, we already have two. Um, so let us know what else you guys want us to do. Exactly. Tune in next time to hear all about how we rate that adaptation. Until then, since you rejected me, I'm going to Europe. (laughs) That's a good point. Until then. Oh, I guess she goes to New York. Europe or New York. Until then, remember to kill off all your female main characters. (laughs) Till then, make sure you're either married or dead by the end. (laughs) There we go. (laughs) Until then, if you're going to to burn your sister's book or break your brother's copy of Halo 2, try to hide it a little better. Just a little bit better. Just a little bit better. And if I catch you, you're dead. You're dead. (laughs) How dare you? I love that game. How dare you? (laughs) 